Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. I'd like to share with you a little bit concerning the parasha. Actually, it'll be quite a bit, but a lot of the passage of Scripture will be coming from the Brit Hadashah, from the New Covenant. And particularly, I noticed as I was uh, putting this message together that I kept on going back to Peter, to Kepha's epistles. And that will be explained a little further as we go in this. But if you, if you haven't been reading the Torah portion, there's still time for you to jump into that. We've only come up through, I believe, through chapter uh, 17. So if you can read the first 17 chapters of Genesis, you will have caught up to where we're at in the parashayot, in the Torah portions. Um, for those familiar, you're probably aware that there are 54 Torah portions uh, that... Uh, take place during the Hebrew calendar year, and these Torah portions, and particularly these very first segments in the book of Bereshit, are like fountainheads. They're like, uh, and, I, and I use this idea advisedly, they're like the, the, the Genesis moment of certain doctrines, certain ideas, certain truths from God's Word. For example, when we start reading the Torah portion, the Prashayot, we realize that grace is mentioned. We realize the love of God is mentioned. We realize holiness is brought forth. We realize divine calling. In fact, even today, Lech Lecha, you go forth, shows divine calling. We start to encounter the nature of God and what he's like. We encounter quite rapidly in the book of uh, Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, rapidly we encounter man's sinfulness and disobedience towards the Lord. We also see God's saving power, how he's able to intervene into lives. And we, we, we learn the place of Israel, what will later be called Israel. Jacob's name will be changed to Israel, to Israel. We see the separation of God's people from those who are not his people. There's a distinguishing that happens, a, a, if you will allow the term, a havdala, a separation, a distinguishing that happens between the people of God and those who are not God's people. We learn about divine judgment. I mean, how can we read Parashat Noah, the portion about Noah, and not come away with some idea that there, God is able, he's the judge. He's the ultimate say. We also learn, to use a modern term, we learn about spiritual warfare, and we learn about the paramount place of God's word in all eternity. After all, Yeshua said, he said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away. There's an eternal resonance to the, to, uh, the words of our Messiah. So we learn about the paramount place of God's word in eternity. And also there's a call to worship that we learn about. As we go farther into Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, we recognize at various times that the Avot, the patriarchs, uh, 
would take time to build an altar to worship God. And by the way, I hope that you found the place in your life for worship and praise and worship together. You can worship the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, as David Hamelech said it, King David said it. And we're introduced to many key topics in the Torah, key ideas, and, and we're introduced to them in the Torah, but we must keep in mind, I believe, that the Torah is not the end all for understanding these topics. They're really, the Torah is the beginning point, not the end all. It's the beginning point of understanding uh, some of the principles that we just mentioned concerning judgment and spiritual warfare. We, we get to our first glimpse, our first mention of these things, and then later on as we read through all of Scripture, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the Brit Chadashah, we, we see a fullness, and ultimately the fullness that we see is in the person of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. There's the fullness right there. So, whereas the first five books that we commonly call HaTorah, the Torah, or the Chumash, offer us glimpses into eternal truth, it's in Yeshua that we see the truth. And as Eric mentioned today during the liturgy, and we commonly hear here, Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. So, God seems to show forth from the beginning that He has plans and purpose. He shows those forward, and we know this looking at the panoramic view of Scripture from Genesis to the book of Revelation, from the beginning of the Torah all the way to the end of the Brit Chadashah. We know this, and I'm going to quote from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but the Lord is long-suffering. He has sablanut. <laughs> He's long-suffering towards us. And notice this next statement, because it shows us kind of what makes God tick, if we could use that phrase. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to teshuvah, to repentance. That's his desire, that man would turn from mankind's evil ways and toward, towards him who is the way, the truth, and the life. So of the 54 Torah portions that we encounter in the Hebrew calendar year, and we are now, we have started out with Bereshit, and then the second one was Noach, and now we've come to Lech Lecha, of the 54 portions, there's a strong argument that this parasha, this, this, this sedra, this reading, lech lecha, is among the most important of all the 54, and there's a good argument for that. We're told in lech lecha, if you had a chance to read this, we're told that Avram, at that time his name was Avram, not Avraham, that Avram was... 75 years old <laughs> when he departed from Haran after his father Terach's death. 
75. And no, there's the argument that says, well, you know, back then the ages were different. But I'm sorry, 75 years of wear and tear on a human body is 75 years of wear and tear. And we're introduced to that idea and we're given the beginning of some, some important chronology concerning the life of Avraham. In, in this case, he's called Avraham. Later, his name is changed to Avraham. 75 years of life in his frame already when we start to, get, uh, a, a, start to grasp what would happen in his life. So I think there is a lesson for you and me here today so, friends, uh, be aware that you are never too old, and I might add, never too young, to start serving God. Maybe now is the day for you. Now is the day of teshuvah, the day of turning towards the Lord and following Him. And you're never too old. Avraham, or Avram, was 75 years old in this week's parashah. At the Lech Lecha moment in his life, he was 75 years old. And we're never too old to walk by faith, to trust in the Lord. We're never too old to praise him, to honor him with our tithes, with our first fruits of our increase. We're never too old to help others. We're never too old to worship the Lord. We're never too old to pray and intercede for others. And each of the things that I just mentioned, walking by faith, praising, honoring, tithe, first fruits, helping others, worshiping, praying, interceding, these are all things that are ascribed to Abraham after the age of 75. All those things. And as with Noah, with Noah, God called this one man, Avram, along with his wife, his wife, her name was Sarai, Sarah, later changed to Sarah. He called this one person, Avram. He found this one person in the deserts, Haran, Ur of the Chaldees, this one person to be a vessel, a vessel for his saving grace that would be extended to all the world. And in order for Avram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah, if you will, in order for them to follow the Lord, they had to do the very same thing that we do if we're going to follow the Lord. They had to deny themselves at times. Did you realize they had to deny themselves at times also? You may think, oh, why do I have to deny myself? This is the... the, the prototype, the, the paradigm that we see all the way back with the Avot, with the patriarchs, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Self-denial. They had to deny themselves. They had to deny doing their own thing. And if you would, they had to take on the Lord's mantle in their life. Doesn't that sound quite a bit like what we're called to do? To deny ourselves? Take up the etz, the tree, the executions taken, follow our Messiah daily. So as with Abraham, we too have much at stake as we live out our days, the days that are allotted to us. Just a few moments ago, we recited Kaddish for this wonderful brother, Kenneth. And you know, 
most of the time, we don't know the exact time that we're going to pass from this life. Most of the time, we don't. Most of the time, it's a transitional thing. It may be, uh, you know, uh, one gets sick or ill and, you know, transitions out. And some of you have experienced that with loved ones in your family. We don't know. And we can ask ourselves, though, as we go through the course of everyday life, not knowing the day or the hour that our life will end, we can ask ourselves, are we actively doing the Lord's will in our life? That's an extremely important question. We can ask ourselves, are we being a positive influence upon others around us? We can ask ourselves, are we being a vessel of his chen, his grace, his mercy towards others? We can ask ourselves, are we willing to yield to the Ruach HaKodesh, or would we prefer to follow the Yitzhah, the evil inclination? In other words, will we do God's will? Each day that we have life, that's a question we face. Are we doing God's will? And doing his will distinguishes us from not doing his will. There is a big difference between doing his will and not doing his will. So notice what God initially said to Avram after Avram departed from Haran. We've mentioned it already. It's in Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Avram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, get out of that, and go to a land that I will show you. That's Sefer Bereshit, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. To put it succinctly, Avram was called to a place that was unfamiliar to him. There's no record that Avram had been to the land of Canaan. No record. He had come from the area of Ur, you are, Ur of the Chaldees, and he, he was following through with a word that the Lord had given to him and his family, which was to get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He was being brought to an unfamiliar place, a new place that would require trust in God's word. He couldn't rely on everything he, he knew. It was a new place. And besides trusting God's word, he had to be able to trust in God's character, God's nature. Would God mistreat him? Would God be evil to him? Would God do bad to him? Now, to you or to myself, that may sound like a, you know, Narishkeit, foolish thinking. But imagine this man, 75 years old, in his mind, he has to think of what is the nature of God. I'm obeying him, so what is God really like? What's he liable to do? And it tells us in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, in this week's power shot, it says that, it says, Abraham believed in the Lord, trusted in the Lord, and it was a credit to him as sadaka, righteousness. That means that he trusted, Abraham trusted in God's faithfulness. He trusted, he believed that God was good. He believed that God would take care of him. He believed that God was able. He believed God was all-powerful. He believed that whatever came across his path, that God would be there. 
And friends, we have a similar promise in our lives that whatever comes across your path in life, you can trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. Or as Shlomo said, Solomon in Mishlei, he said, trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own. In all your ways, acknowledge him, the Lord, and he shall direct your steps. And Avram's faith, his trust, as he's called out, the lech lecha portion, that, that's, that's where we get the name of this parasha, lech lecha, go forth. Abraham's trust in the Lord serves as a sort of prototype for you and me in our walk of faith. And as we live day to day, trusting the Lord, looking to him, and seeking to honor him, and this is on a daily basis. Some of us are a bit sporadic at times, aren't we? I trust you today. I'm doing my own thing tomorrow. I'll trust you the next day. I'm going to do my own thing for a few days, and I'll get back to trusting you, Lord. Now, I know that sounds crass, making that statement, but that's somehow, that's how it looks sometimes. If we were to graph it out, it would look like that. I trusted the Lord today. I kind of did my own thing the next day. And then I followed the Lord again, at least somewhat that day. But Avram, his faith, the level of his faith or his trust in the Lord was such that day after day he trusted the Lord. He was a man of emunah, faith, faithfulness. And he found out that God could be trusted. So as he was honoring the Lord, seeking to honor him, you know, if you're going to honor the Lord with your life, please hear this. <laughs> Certain things are going to happen. Certain things are going to happen. And I want to share with you seven things. Seven things that we experience as, as we walk by faith. And there are parallels to Avram. Avram, who was the greater, you know, the, the, this great father of faith, as he's called in Yeshayahu, the prophet Isaiah. But as we trust in Yeshua, who's the greater son, the greater son of David, and the promised seed of Avram, there are things that we can expect to happen with it. Here's number one. Our walk of trust or faith results in number one, guess what it is? Trials and testings. Any of you notice that? That as you try to walk with the Lord, that you are challenged at times? You have trials? And testings, well, Avram experienced the same thing. Avram and Sarai, Sarah, they experienced the same thing. Rabbinical teaching says at least there were at least ten major trials, or if you prefer the word test, that Avram and Sarah went through. So if you're going to walk by faith or trust, you can expect, number one, trials and testings. And sure, it is true that all people experience trials and testings in life. You may have started this day off with a trial or a test. I don't know. It could be as simple as you went to start the car and it wouldn't start. It could be as simple as you, you went to sleep at night and you woke up in the morning, there had been a power surge, and this has happened to Miriam and I, my wife and I. You, there was a power surge and your refrigerator went out. It needed to be turned on again. 
It can be greater than that. Greater trials. You can end up in an accident. You, somebody gets your car and you're left without transportation. And it can ratchet up all the way up. But Avram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, they experienced trials and testings. And in our case, as followers of the Messiah, there's a lot at stake in our lives during these trials and testings. Thankfully, God uses our trials and testings in our life to bring about something within us. The New Covenant calls it, the Brit Chadashah calls it, to, that we might be conformed to the image of Yeshua. For many years, it has struck me as I read the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, it struck me that both Kepha and Yaakov, Peter and James, that both of them, they begin their epistle in an unusual way. They immediately start talking about trials and tests. Both of them, Peter and James, Kepha, Yaakov. For example, notice 1 Peter chapter 1. We get to the sixth verse of the very first chapter of Kepha Aleph, and it says this, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, and man, I'm circling the little while part of this, that though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved, you've been grieved by various trials. What a way to start an epistle. <laughs> Start talking right away about trials. Sixth verse, by the time you get to the sixth verse of First Peter, he's talking about trials. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your emunah, your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to do what? to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Yeshua HaMashiach, Messiah Yeshua, whom having seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with, great, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. And not to be outdone, James, James, Yaakov, his Hebrew name was Yaakov. He speaks about trials. Kepha begins speaking about trials in the sixth verse of the first chapter. James is not going to be outdone. He starts speaking about trials in the second verse of the first chapter. James wins this one. In Yaakov, James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2, we read, My brethren counted all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here, but how many of us really counted all joy when we fall into various trials? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but this is how he starts. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 3 is important, knowing that the testing of your faith, Greek word is pistis, produces, guess what? Patience. <laughs> Has anyone ever prayed for patience? 
a couple of folks have. <laughs> I was taught very easily as a believer when I became a believer, very early as a believer, don't pray for patience. I'm not sure why I was told that. <laughs> I'm patiently waiting to figure it out. But knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Verse 4, James chapter 1, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. The idea is blameless, tamim, may be complete. You may be lacking nothing. So number one, if you're going to walk by faith, you are going to, number one, experience some trials and testing. Well, here's a second thing. Our walk of trust or faith results in number two, separation from others. Separation from others who choose not to follow the Lord or to obey his word, something has to give. If you're going to follow the Lord and they're not going to follow the Lord, something has to give. I know in my life it gave big time. Lost all my friends. I mean, we're friends still, but kind of lost it. The Lord was calling me another direction. They went a different direction. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Because you become a believer, they, you, you find that the chasm, the gap there, growing. And some of the friends, that you may really love these people. It can be friends, it can be family, and many of us have lost friends and family members, even relatives that we really loved because we have decided to follow Yeshua and to try to do his will in our life, not just our own thing or not just do the things they expected us to do, many of which were not really the most wholesome things or were wrong-focused and when we refuse to follow the ways of others that we have called friends and they continue going that way, we have to make a decision. Will we continue going the way we were going before the Lord? Or will we walk in the new way? Will we have a lech lecha moment in our life? Will we go forth and in essence we have to leave those things that we are comfortable with Number three, our walk of trust or faith results in number three, establishing a new culture or life pattern within our own life and hopefully within our family. We have here a number of first-generation Jewish believers in our congregation. It is a total new thing. <laughs> Nowhere else to look. A new culture is being established. Our children have been raised in a different way than our parents raised us. Central to that is Yeshua the Messiah. He must be the central portion of our mishpachot, of our families. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, after he talks about trials in verse 6, then in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear and reverence. Knowing, verse 18 of Kepha'alev, 1 Peter chapter 1, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold 
You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your, this translation says, your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Mashiach, the Messiah, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And many of us here, many listening to these words here today, you have had to go a different course in your life. Thankfully, there are also many among us who were raised in a believing home and could gather, could glean some of the good things that they were raised with, such as attending services regularly, such as prayer, such as reading the word, because you had godly mother. I think about Linda especially with her mom, godly mom or a godly parent who mentored you that way. But for others, our walk of trust or faith results in number three, again, establishing a new culture or life pattern in our, li- in our own lives. And notice also, number four, our walk of trust or faith results in number four. This is right in the center of it all. There's only seven we'll go through today. Number four, it results in spiritual warfare. I don't know a better way to describe it. Spiritual warfare. In other words, the adversary, who's spoken of as the adversary by none other than Kepha, Peter. The adversary seeks to waylay us to distance us from the Lord, to do all that he can to hinder us in our walk of faith, to hinder us from serving God, to hinder us from being generous, to hinder us from walking in humility. And again, Kepha, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, I love how it says this, likewise you younger people, now I know I began talking about Avram at age 75, But Scripture addresses all age groups. You younger people, it says, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes. (laughs) There's some that say, yeah, yeah, you got to submit. But here's the next verse. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting, how much? All your care upon him. For he cares for you. And then this part. Number four, again, our walk of trust or faith results in spiritual warfare. Then Kepha, after addressing younger people, after talking about walking in humility, then he says this, be sober, Be vigilant because, notice how he phrases it, because your adversary, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world can assure you, based upon God's word, and and just probably you would all agree with this, 
that yes, we go through spiritual warfare here in the United States, but they're going through spiritual warfare in Africa. They're going through spiritual warfare in Eretz Israel, on the land of Israel. They're going through spiritual warfare in Mexico. They're going, the believers are going through spiritual warfare wherever they're found. Because the enemy, as it says, he seeks to, he's seeking whom he may devour. He's like a roaring lion. And the response is to resist him. The next phrase is in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Did you notice it, does, it doesn't say, say all these tricky slogans? It says resist him steadfast in the faith. Our walk of trust or faith results in number five, not leaning so heavily on our own carnal understanding. If we're going to walk by faith, trusting the Lord, at times we, 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 we have to turn from where we might take ourselves. We have to turn to trusting God rather than trusting in ourselves. This week's portion includes what I would call the significant statement that's in Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 3. And in chapter 12, verse 3, it says, often repeated, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how many of you have heard that scripture before? It's repeated over and over again. But it's quite curious, the, the distinctions there. On one hand, bless. On the other hand, is the opposite of blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. It's polar. It's one side and the other side. And this passage, for example, this one and others, sets up this contrast between those who would, in essence, bless Abraham and those who don't bless Abraham. Do you know that our world is full of that right now? There are folks that would love to see the nation of Israel destroyed. They don't just think this, they talk it. They work towards it. They're out to get Israel, the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people. Notice the contrast, though, that we also find in Jeremiah chapter 17. It offers this striking contrast in Jeremiah 17, verse 5. It states this. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Would you agree with me that that's strong language right there? It's strong Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. And then the added clause is whose lev, whose heart departs from the Lord. Now that's Yermiahu, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. But just two verses later, Jeremiah 17, verse 7, it says this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And whose hope is the Lord? You can see the contrasting statement here. The terminology is obvious. Cursed, blessed. Cursed, blessed. Heart departs from the Lord. And the other one says in Jeremiah 17, 7, whose hope 
is the Lord. Now, the use of the word hope in Jeremiah 17, 7 shows that a person who trusts the Lord must be sure to place at the foot of the tree, the execution stake, the cross, all personal aspirations. Death to self. All desires and longings must be placed before our Messiah. He becomes then our living hope as he's called in the book of Titus. Our hope is in him. All our inward inclinations must be given to the Lord knowing that the Lord does not fail. He's absolutely blameless. He's just in all his ways. He's good. He's righteous. And I could speak all day about that and so could you. He knows what is best for us and his kingdom. And he tries to meld that in our lives so that what we are doing is best for us and best for his kingdom. Can I explain how he does it? No, but he does it. Blessed be his holy name. His wisdom is far beyond us. His understanding of us and what makes us tick far beyond anything we could ever find in a psychology book. He's way beyond. And what's baffling to me is that he still loves us and cares about us. Cares about you today and what's going on in your life. He cares about you. It's not like he doesn't care. He, he does care. And only he can fulfill the promise of his word. And there are so many promises to where I could ask you, what is your favorite promise? But here's one. He promised, he said, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, some would like it to say, no good thing will he withhold. But that's not what it says. That's only part of what it says. No good thing will he withhold, here's the second part, from them that walk uprightly. So, friends, if you're going to walk uprightly before the Lord, Look for him to not withhold from you all that you need, and he shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Messiah Yeshua. The righteous shall live by trust, by faith in him, by faith in our Messiah who loved us and gave himself willingly for us. He's our redeemer. He's the Goel. He's the Moshiach, the Savior the one who saves us, and he willingly and freely gave himself for our redemption. So if the course of your life here today is not described in Jeremiah 17, 7, and again, this is what it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. If that doesn't describe you, that you're trusting in the Lord and your hope, your inner being is re resigned to, to the Lord, to following him, then I dare say this, maybe Jeremiah 17, 5 better describes. I hope not. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength and whose heart departs from the Lord. Number six, our walk of trust or faith results in number six, a peace that surpasses all understanding. How many of you, let me see a show of hands, please. How many of you have experienced the Lord's peace in a very real way in your life? 
It was one of the first things I noticed when I became a believer many years ago in New York. It was peace. The turmoil of the, that, that decade, the turmoil of society that time. And here I was, I came to know the Lord, and I sensed this peace inside that I had never experienced before. It was beyond my understanding, because his peace surpasses all understanding. And the peace of the Lord is among some of the very best treasures the Lord gives his people. When you have the peace of the Lord, yeah, the trials and circumstances may be adverse, but you have the peace of the Lord. Yes, you may wonder, how am I going to pay that bill? You may wonder, how am I going to get well? But you have the peace of the Lord that passes all understanding and surpasses it. That's a treasure. That's part of our inheritance in the spirit. And it comes from the Lord. And what is his name? One of his names? He's Sar Shalom. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Administrator of Peace. And number seven, lastly, as we conclude, our walk of trust or faith results in number seven, being set apart for his service. I hope that that's what's happening in your life. He's working in your life, and you, you, you sense this call to serve him more. You feel more set apart. You're, you know, maybe your friends have been going that direction. You say, not for me. You may even quote what it says in the book of Yahushua, Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let's face it, my friends here today, <clears throat> that most of us want to function in what we might call our personal comfort zone. We like that area. <laughs> Yeah, God calls us to be holy. The meaning of the Hebrew root for holy, kadosh, kodesh, kadash. It implies being set apart. It implies being sanctified. And holiness means to be set apart from this world and its ways. And set apart unto the Lord and his holy ways. To become a vessel of the master's bidding not a vessel of our own bidding, that we're resigned to do his will. We delight to do his will. In essence here today, Avram, Avram was called to leave that which was comfortable to him, that which was probably had already become his normal by the age of 75, that which maybe he expected, he was called to leave that. He had that lech lecha calling in order to take upon himself the yoke of the kingdom, the yoke of obedience to obey El Chai, the living God. Be assured that the same calling is upon every believer. You are called to serve the Lord. And if you are willing, he will open up avenues for you. He knows you perfectly. He knows what, you're, what he's given you as far as gifts. He knows your capabilities. He knows your level of trust in him. Be assured that if you'll set yourself apart as a vessel for him, he will use you. And it may take you to a place that's not as comfortable as you would have wanted. Abraham ends up in Canaan, in the land of Canaan, 
a place that there's no record he'd ever been. He ends up going through many different trials. And yet, through it all, he ends up with this name that's found also in James and in Isaiah. Abraham is called the friend of God. The friend of God. Wow, what nomenclature that is to be called the friend of God. The Holy Spirit right now is teaching his people across the face of the earth that we'd be willing to learn the lessons just like Abraham was. How can we read Bereshit 22? The Akedah, the binding of Isaac, and not realize what a lesson Abraham learns there. We still talk about it every Yom Torah, every Rosh Hashanah. It's part of the parashayot, the portions we read during the uh, 10 days of awe. You may be challenged here today in your own life. I'd like us to close in prayer. If you would, please bow your head and just take a moment. Take a moment before the Lord, not before me or your neighbor, but before the Lord and just, again, recommit yourself to him. Are you willing to let him be Lord of your life? Will you remove the stops that you put up and allow him to say to you, Lech Lecha or Lech Lach, go forward. This is what's at stake here. Time is short, and even tomorrow is not promised to us. But we know that he will not leave us nor forsake us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, how we praise you this day. Thank you for the lessons that we learn in your word. Help us to really learn them. Lord, I pray for each person here today, each person listening to these words. Lord, that you would do a sovereign work, that you would remove the impediments of fearfulness and timidity, that you would remove the impediments of braggadocio, arrogance, self-inclinations. Lord, that you would bring about in our lives, bring about your will, your purposes, that we would be vessels of grace, that we'd be able to walk in new things even as Abraham did at age 75, all the new things he experienced because he was following you and you led him in a, a new way. Lord, I pray for each person here that you would lead and guide each person in your will, that you would speak to our hearts those things we need to leave behind. And you would speak to our hearts those things we need to take up, those new and better ways that we'd be able to leave behind the customs and those things that have hindered us from generations past and receive those things that are good that have been transmitted to us so we might walk in newness of life before you. Thank you, Lord. Ask these things according to the merit, the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, 
liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.